0: Well, good morning once again. I know we have a lot of visitors here this morning, and so I just thought maybe I'd introduce myself again. I am the new associate pastor here at Kerrville Bible Church. Uh, My wife, my family, and I, we moved here from southwest Colorado, where I pastored a a small rural church in that part of, of the country for the last 16 years. And it is our privilege to be, uh, to be called by the Lord uh, to serve here at Kerrville. And we love this church and uh, love the people here and love the ministry that God has given us. Um, I have, for the last uh, year and a half before we came here, I've been preaching through the Psalms. And so my mind is very saturated with, uh, with the Psalms, and so this morning we're gonna take a look at Psalm 42, uh, which, uh, our worship pastor Toby read earlier, uh, in our service. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 42. Uh, the title of my sermon this morning is Battling Spiritual Depression. Depression is uh, an increasing problem in the United States and our, our modern culture. Uh, recent surveys have indicated that one in two people in the last year, one in ten people in the last year, have experienced some kind of significant uh, ongoing bout with depression in their lives. Surveys also indicate that women are twice as likely to have suffered under depression as men do. And we also know that Christians are not immune to battling depression and anxiety in their lives. Unfortunately for Perhaps the last 45 years or so, there has been a trend within evangelicalism to turn toward psychology and psychiatry to address human problems and especially to address issues of depression. There is almost an epidemic of uh, the abuse of psychotropic drugs in treating depression, and uh, and there is an assumption, even within the church, that when you're dealing with deep-rooted problems in your life, you need to turn to professionals. You need to turn to the psychologists and the psychiatrists because they are trained to deal with with problems in ways that the Bible simply does not. And that is unfortunate. And we have failed to recognize that the Bible deals with the very deepest problems that we experience as human beings. And the Bible is sufficient for the deepest and the most uh, serious problems that we might experience as, as human beings and as Christians. It's interesting that psychology as a discipline has only been around for about 125 years, 130 years. And if it has provided such resources for people, for Christians to deal with things like depression and anxiety and worry and so forth, you wonder what Christians did before those times. And the fact is, is that we need to return to the Word of God as the greatest source of truth and hope for those who suffer from depression and anxiety. And I want to tell you that we have abundant resources to address these kinds of issues in the Psalms. Because there you encounter men like David, and, and, and in this case, uh, a group of, of Levites called the Sons of Korah who wrote this amazing psalm to address deep uh, issues of worry and depression and despair and anxiety. Uh, Humans have never been immune from these problems, and Christians have never been immune from them either. And we must turn to God's Word to find out how he addresses these things for us. So we're going to look at Psalm Forty-two this morning, and we're going to look at uh, how this psalm addresses spiritual depression, and and we're going to look in this psalm at four common causes for spiritual depression, and then we're going to look at five cures that this psalm offers us when we are suffering from depression. Now, this psalm is not exhaustive, right? This isn't covering every single issue that you might face when, when you are battling this in your life. And, and so I don't want you to think that we've got some exhaustive uh, uh, uh report here in how to deal with the issue. Nonetheless, I think that you will find some very important applications for you if you are struggling in this area in your life. And I want to make it very simple for you. The bottom line is that, that what this Psalm offers us in terms of how to address this problem in our lives is very simple. The causes of spiritual depression invariably are things that turn our eyes away from the Lord. And those are the things that will cause us to experience depression. And the cure is to practice things that will turn our eyes back to the Lord. It's really that simple. And that is what the psalmist here does for us. So we're going to look at four common causes and five cures, and we're going to jump around in this psalm. I'm not going to walk through it verse by verse, but I'm going to jump around, so you got to hang tight and and hang with me. And so let's begin by looking at what are some common causes of spiritual depression. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just some of the things that the psalmist deals here. Number one, is absenting yourself from the worship of God, being absent from the worship of God. Look at what the psalmist says. He says in verses 1 and 2, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. God. When shall I come and appear before God? If you jump down to verse 4, he says, These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With a voice of joy and thanksgiving and a multitude-keeping festival. We learn later on in verse 6 in this psalm, that whoever is writing this is away from their home. They they are one of the sons of Korah who were a group of Levites who were involved in the worship of God in the sanctuary or the temple, the the tabernacle that was located in Jerusalem. And this this person is way up north of Israel, in the land of Israel, in the peaks of Hermon, of Mount Mazar, and so we don't know why they're there, why they're being detained in this place. But this person is longing to be back in the house of God, worshiping his God. Something very important that, that this, this tells us. As human beings, we were designed to be in communion with God fact, when you think about salvation, what is salvation? Oftentimes we think of salvation as uh, being forgiven of your sins. And of course, that is true. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, because of his death and resurrection, we have an assurance that our sins are forgiven. But that is not really the end of our salvation. The end result of salvation is not simply to have your sins forgiven, but rather to be reconciled to God. And it is our sin that prevents us from having communion with God, of having this rich and deep relationship with the God of the universe. And so the reason why we need to have our sins forgiven is because sin separates us from God. It prevents us from having that communion he designed us to have. And and therefore, when we trust Christ to forgive us of our sins, the whole goal is so that we could be reunited to the God of this universe. We were designed to have intimate fellowship with him. And that means we were designed to worship him. And it's important for us to understand that that the worship of God involves two aspects. It involves private or, or personal worship, and it involves corporate worship, right? In other words, you must spend time with God by yourself, in private, with your personal devotions every day. Being in the Word, being in prayer, and worshiping God in your own individual life. It's very important. But we're also called to corporate worship. And this is what is the focus in this this psalm. This person is experiencing despair in their life, partly because they have been absent from the corporate worship of God, with God's people. And as important as our personal worship is, and don't ever think that it is unimportant, it is very important. Our personal worship cannot replace the necessity for corporate worship. To be gathered together with God's people, worshiping with fellow believers the same God. never surprises me that when I have counseled people, Christians, that experience a great deal of depression, sometimes I discover that they also tend to absent themselves from the weekly gathering of God's people for worship. And it doesn't surprise me that they are struggling in their lives. Right, We were designed to be engaged with others, other fellow believers in Christ, in meaningful worship of God, because this is what satisfies the deepest longings and the deepest needs of our hearts. We must not deny that. So this is one of the causes, being absent from the worship of God. Number two... Another cause of spiritual depression is troublesome people, right? Let's face it, people are a source of great agitation, right? Now that seems strange because we just got done saying you need to be together with other Christians. Sometimes those Christians can be a source of agitation, right? There are thorns in our sides. Everybody has that person or has had that person who has has become a kind of particular thorn in your side. Someone who provokes you. Someone who really gets under your skin. And when you allow that person to get under your skin, it begins to eat away at your soul until you start to become very dispirited and and depressed. What is particularly bad is when you have people that oppose your faith, right? And and they mock your faith. And this is what the psalmist was dealing with here. He had people that were, were causing him to question his faith in God, saying, where is your God? Right, you're having all these troubles and you claim to believe in this God. Well, how come he doesn't help you? right and and so you begin to have these people that you're surrounded with that cause you to doubt god right cause you to think well god doesn't really care about me and 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 god doesn't really love me god's not going to help me i've been struggling with this issue for so long and, and uh and he's not going to help in verse 10 he talks about these enemies these these people who oppress him, and he talks about um, how how my adversaries remo- revile me, and and they have shattered my bones. They have left me essentially what he's saying: these people they have left me broken. They've left me hurting and and helpless and and hopeless. And so, people can often be a source of of depression. And anxiety. We live in a culture that is increasingly opposed to our Christian faith. And if we want to live as, as Christians, as strong Bible believing Christians, we're gonna find that there's gonna be more and more opposition to that kind of faith. Christianity is said to be an antiquated, dying religion. Uh, People in our culture today say that that, that Christianity, especially Bible-believing Christians, are the source of all of the real problems that our world faces today. So our faith is mocked. People mock our morals, they mock our values, they mock our beliefs. And when you live in an increasing society that that despises everything that we believe and hold too dearly, it's no wonder that we struggle. And worry, become anxious. But of course, that is not the only source of spiritual depression. Also, you have not only troublesome people, but troublesome circumstances. Verse 4, he says, I remember and I pour out my soul within me. And he talks about uh, how he he used to, to live with with joy and, and thanksgiving, uh, a multitude-keeping festival, and, and life was going well for him. But somehow now life is not going so well. And things are not going as planned. Things are not going the way that he expected. His plans got derailed. His expectations got shattered, and 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 so oftentimes we we suffer from depression and anxiety because things just don't go our way. Look at what he says down in verse seven. He says, "Deep." Calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and waves have rolled over me. This is an amazing image of being overwhelmed in circumstances. Overwhelmed in this this ocean of pain and suffering. And this, this psalmist here is drowning in this tumultuous ocean of pain. And he can hardly breathe. These breakers in this water just crashing out, down on top of him and it's overwhelming for him. But I want you to notice something very interesting about this. Notice the source of these breakers and these waves, these ocean waves. The source is God. He says, your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. Right? I'm in the undertow and, and I'm, I'm drowning. And God, it's your breakers and waves that have caused this. Now, what is very interesting about that image of this use of water in a very powerful kind of way, is when you go back to verse 1, look at what he says in verse 1, he says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. Here he is comparing God to these placid waters, to these peaceful water brooks. And he longs for that kind of water. But the water that he seems to be experiencing right now is not this peaceful water from God, but this overwhelming crashing water that is about to kill him. What does that tell us? What I believe this tells us is that the psalmist recognizes that God is in control. God is in control of his circumstances. And it's not as if once he's gotten outside of these, these peaceful things in his life where God was in control, that n- and now he's in these tumultuous uh, circumstances in his life, it must mean that God is out of control. It must mean that somehow God has not been able to fix my problem, right? And and the only way that 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 my life can be what it needs to be is for me to be in these peaceful situations. But what we need to realize is that oftentimes God purposely brings. Difficulty into our lives because we need it. And we need to understand that the same water that brings refreshing can often be the same water that feels like it is bringing destruction. But we need to understand that in all things, God is at work. And it doesn't matter what circumstances that you face in your life, you need to understand that God is still in control. That's why there is such an incredible promise given to the believer in Romans 8.28. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, this is a verse that, that should be familiar to you. Paul there says that we know that God causes all things, not just some things, not just the good things, but he causes all things, both good and bad, to work together for what? For good. For who? For who? For those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. That is an amazing promise. That means that if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, no matter what circumstances you are facing in your life, you can be assured that God is using those things to bring about His good purposes for you. Now, do we always know what those good purposes are? No. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we see what they are right away. Sometimes we have to wait. And we see them down the road. After some time has elapsed. Sometimes... We never see what those things are. And I know that some of you have experienced horrendous things in your life, and you look back at those things and you wonder what good could ever have possibly come out of this. I don't know. But I know God knows. And I know that God is secretly working through all of those circumstances, those horrendous things that you have had to endure. He is working them for your good. So the important thing for us in this truth is not that we try to figure out what that good thing is, but that we know. The God himself is good. And that he would never allow any kind of thing to happen in our lives, no kind of suffering, no kind of pain that would have a destructive end for us. But rather, whatever that tumultuous wave that is crashing all around you, God always has some good end for that. And that is why we must trust him. It's why James tells us in James chapter 1 verse 2, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Do you realize how odd that is? Do you realize how strange of a statement that is? Count it all joy when all this bad stuff starts happening to you. Why would you do that? Why would you say that? Because you know you serve a good and powerful God who never allows anything in your life as a believer to take place that will not serve some greater purpose that he has for you. All right, moving on. The fourth cause of spiritual depression that we see in this passage is feeling abandoned by God. Feeling abandoned by God. And you see these things kind of go hand in hand. When you are away from the worship of God, it's easy to see how you're going to start to feel abandoned by him because you're not engaged in him in the first place. But when you have these other things, we have uh, uh, troublesome people and troublesome circumstances and and these people don't seem to go away and your circumstances don't seem to go away. Pretty soon you start to think, well, maybe God has gone away. This is really the most devastating thing that can happen to a person especially a christian is to feel that they have been abandoned by god oh god verse six my soul is is in despair within me he goes i i remember you but then he talks about uh, in verse nine why have you forgotten me down in verse 10, his enemies say to, him, say to him, where is your God? The only reason why you're experiencing all these troubles is because God has left you. He's, he's left the house. He, he skipped town. And you're left holding the bag. sometimes our troubles last so long that you can't help but think that god is a skip town and the fact is it's it's hard to endure trials if if something you know hits and runs and and it's gone yeah we can handle that it's the perpetual cycle of trouble it's it's the struggles that never seem to go away. Once again, we need to recognize that God often has to put us through prolonged trials, tribulations where we experience prolonged suffering. In our lives. Think about it. If God rescued us immediately every time trouble entered into our life, there's a lot of things that you would never learn as a Christian. If every time, the, the moment something bad happened and God rescued you from that situation right away, you would never be taught humility. You would never be taught the value of patience. And long-suffering. You would not really learn what it means to truly depend on God. It would not really build your faith. It would not build your courage. You would not learn to become broken-hearted over your sin. If God just rescued you from the consequences of your sin every time... You got yourself in trouble. You would never learn to be truly broken over your sin. Sometimes God has to take us through long, prolonged periods of pain and suffering to teach us those kinds of lessons. And therefore, we have to count it all joy because that's how those lessons are learned. Well, let's look at some of the cures for spiritual depression. Some of the cures. There are five of them that I want to draw your attention to, and we'll try to move through these quickly. Number one, thirsting for God. Thirsting for God. We see this right away as the psalmist writes. He says, "As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God." What is pantiness? That that heavy breathing when you have been running and you're wasted. Your energy has been wasted, and and, and you're thirsting, and you're and and you can't wait to get to that water source, that water fountain, that water bottle. This is a particularly powerful image in the geographic region in which the Bible is written because the land of Israel is largely a desert. And so the water sources are very scarce. And oftentimes to find good water takes a lot of effort. And when you find water, it becomes a glorious thing. I remember some years ago, a group of my friends and and I were doing a long backpack trip in the deserts of Utah where there's not a lot of water. We thought we had good water sources, and we did for for the first part of the trip. But then as we got further down in the trip and further away from civilization, uh, we got to a place where there were no water sources, and it was hot. And we're like, what are we going to do? Fortunately, we had some good maps, and on those maps, we discovered there was a spring. But in order to get to that spring, we had to bushwhack through some thick brush, and with no trail leading to this spring... And we finally got there, and and, it, and I thought I was transported to the Old Testament, you know, in which somebody struck the rock and water started gushing out. That's exactly what it was like. We came to this big rock in the wall, and the water was coming out of the wall. And we took every available container that we had and filled it up. We filled our shoes up, our socks, <laughs> anything to get water, because we still had several days yet to go. And boy, let me tell you, there was rejoicing when we got to that water source. That's what the psalmist is saying here. Do you thirst after God like that? You need to cultivate a thirst for God in your life. If you're depressed, if you're anxious, it's a good indication that you are thirsty. You are spiritually thirsty. And in order to slake that spiritual thirst, you must drink deeply at the well of God. It goes back to what we said earlier, that when you absent yourself from the worship of God... You're absenting yourself from the source of water, from the well from which you will be satisfied. You must long for Christ. If you're a believer, you must long to drink from him every day. Later on in Psalm 63 verse 1, we see a similar verse. He says, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My soul, my flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Do you yearn for God like that? Number two, we must speak to God. We must not only yearn for God, we must speak to him. Look at the psalmist. He doesn't just talk about his problems. He talks to God about them. Right? In verse 5, he's talking to himself. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And then in verse 6, he says, oh, my God, my soul is in despair. It's like, I'm, I'm tired of talking to myself about this. Lord, I need to talk to you about it. Verse eighty talks about praying to God, right? And what the Lord will do when he prays to him. He talks about thanking him and praising him. Verse 90 says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Right? And he and he's, he's sharing his problems with God. This is an important thing. You know, some people think that that it's wrong to express our, our why questions to God. It's wrong to, to express our frustrations to God because somehow that's, that's, that's being disrespectful. That's not being disrespectful. God already knows your heart and therefore don't feel afraid to bear your soul to Him. He is a closer friend to you than the closest friend this world will ever provide you. Right? What we don't want to do when we turn to God is we don't want to turn to God and cast blame on Him. The reason why we come to God is so that we find hope in Him, not to cast blame. So if you're coming to God to cast blame on Him, well, then, yeah, you've got a problem. But if you're sharing your burdens and your frustrations with Him because you know that He is the source of hope for you, then that's what we must do. That is what the psalmist does. And this is a model for how we do that. Right, We address God as my rock. What are you saying when you say to God, You are my rock. You were saying to Him that You are my source of strength. You are my source of security. You are my source of safety. God, You are a mighty fortress, and I am going to walk inside and take refuge in You. And yeah, I'm bringing all the baggage with me so you can deal with it. We don't leave the baggage outside. We bring it inside so that God can properly deal with it. And number three, we must learn that as we speak to God, we must also be praising and thanking God. When you come to speak to God about your problems, you also come to thank and praise him. Look at verse 4. He says, I used to go along in the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. He was a worship leader. Right? He says, with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, right? He remembers that joy and that thanksgiving by which he led others into worship because he knew how important worship was and how important thanksgiving is to worship. Verse, verse 8, he says, his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life, his praising God. You know, a lot of times when we, if we are speaking to God about our problems, if we don't couch those problems with praise and thanksgiving, what will happen is we will tend toward anger and bitterness toward God. You you know how to battle bitterness and anger toward God when you're struggling in your life? Start thanking Him. And thank Him for the troubles that you are facing. Thank Him. Why would you do that? Because once again, if we understand a true theology of who God is, we understand that God has not abandoned you. Just because you are experiencing some hard thing in your life, doesn't mean God has abandoned you. It may very well mean that God is doing something very unique and special in your life, and you need to pay attention. And you need to thank Him because you know, you know That he is doing this for your good. Because he is a good God. You cannot lose sight of that. Because once you start to cultivate anger. Then you are going to cultivate this notion. That God is not a good God. He is a bad God. That is why we are commanded to always thank him. In all things give thanks. All things. Good and bad. We're, we're used to thanking God for the good stuff, right? And if we can't think of anything good to thank God for, then we don't thank Him at all. Now, that is bad theology and that is bad practice. We need to thank God and praise Him. You know, it's interesting that he, that he says in verse 8, at the end of verse 8, he says, and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. And notice how he turns this prayer, this praise and thanksgiving into a song. Folks, this is why we sing songs of worship of praise and thanksgiving. Cause we need to turn this stuff into a song. What is amazing when you go to, to Acts chapter 16, you, you look at Paul and Silas and they had been preaching the gospel. They'd been doing this good thing. And what was the response? Well, they dragged them into the town court and sent them to jail. Well, thank you, God. I, you know, glad you did that for me. You know, Paul and Silas had every reason to despair. Look, look at what happened. We're trying to serve the Lord and then this happens. What did they do? It says about midnight, they started to sing hymns. And they were praying. They were praying and singing hymns. And everybody in the jail was listening and then people started coming to the Lord. Number four need to learn to start speaking truth to yourself. Look at verse 5 and verse 11. He's talking to himself, and really these are self-exhortations. Right, he says, why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Right, he's speaking to himself, and he says, hope in God. For I shall yet again praise Him for the help of His presence. All right down in verse 11, He says, Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. What is the psalmist doing? He's speaking truth to himself. Too often when people get depressed, they listen to themselves instead of speaking to themselves. Do you know what the difference is? When you listen to yourself, generally what you are listening to are these voices that feed your despair. Right? It's a passive thing that you do and you just let your mind wander and wallow in, 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 in these These thoughts, these misguided thoughts, because the more you just sit there and listen to yourself, the more despairing thoughts that are going to flood in. And what you have to do is instead of listening to yourself, you need to speak to yourself. And what do you speak to yourself? You speak what you know is true. The way to combat the lies that you listen to when you are in despair is to speak truth to yourself. This is what the psalmist does. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him for for the help of his presence. Right? He's speaking and saying, I know that God will help me. I know that that my hope is found only in Him. And I cling to these things. I cling to these truths. When everything else, all these other voices inside of me are saying, this isn't true, this isn't true. No, you stop. You stop listening to yourself and you start speaking to yourself the truth. This is why we memorize Scripture. How do you know that you're not going to be in a situation where you don't have a Bible ready at hand? I know we all have phones and they've got Bible apps, and that's a wonderful thing. But sometimes you're in a situation where you don't have the Bible at hand. This is why we memorize scripture. We memorize passages of scripture and we fill our minds with those things so that we're in situations where where we don't know what to do. We can at least recall the scripture and those scriptures will encourage us. Right? Feed yourself on sermons. If, If you've heard, you know, Pastor Chris or myself or Pastor Toby or Pastor Heath or... You know any of the any any spiritual leader in this church, and they start. Oh, you need to listen to this sermon by by Steve Lawson or listen to this by John MacArthur, whatever. You know, listen to other sermons. Listen to good biblical sermons and feed your soul. You don't have to just listen to to Pastor Chris or or anyone else that preaches from this pulpit, right? This is this is a. This is important. This is a good starting place. But feed yourself with other sermons. We have great resources with the Internet nowadays. There's a lot of bad things about the Internet. But one of the good things is that we have access to more great teaching today than we ever did before. Now, we also have access to a lot of bad teaching, too. And this is why we need discernment. right? And this is why you have Pastor Chris. And this is why you have Kerrville Bible Church, to help you with that discernment but feed your soul with the Word of God. And then you will be able to speak truth to your soul when it is in despair. And then finally, hoping in God. Hoping in God. That is so simple, but it is the the primary truth that the psalmist is trying to drive home. Right? And we see him repeat it several times. Hope in God, verse 5. Hope in God, verse 11. Psalm 43 does the same thing. These, these Psalms are really linked together. Psalm 43, verse 5, at the end, uh, basically repeats that same verse. And, and the, the point is hope in God. Hope in God. Why do we hope in God? Because we've already said it. We know that he is good and that he will never allow anything in your life that will have a destructive end for it but everything will be used for some good purpose that he has for you and therefore you must hope in him you must trust him he has not abandoned you he is always at your side in fact, He is right within you because He has placed His Holy Spirit in you if you've trusted Christ for your salvation. And then look at verse 8. It says, the Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime. This word loving kindness is the most important word in the Old Testament, and I suggest to you that it may be the most important word in the entire Bible. It is a very unique word in the Hebrew called hesed, And it is a term that is often translated, depending on the translation, but often translated as loving kindness. Probably the most equivalent term in the New Testament would be the word grace. But this is a far richer term than even the word grace is in the New Testament. It is a term that, that means God's never failing love, his kindness. Covenant love that cannot be broken. It speaks of a kind of love that is that is that is so faithful, so loyal that God will never take it away from the child of God. God's love for you, if you know Christ as your Savior, is steadfast forever infinite in worth and value and will always seek your good. Will always seek what is in your best interest now. May not be what you think is in your best interest, but what God knows because of His infinite wisdom as to what is best for you. This is His loving kindness. This is our hope. No matter how hard the trials are, no matter how powerful those crashing breakers and waves might be, God's faithful, loyal love will never leave us. It will never forsake His children till it accomplishes His good purposes you employ these five cures that will help you keep your eyes focused on Christ you will find your joy and your peace will return to you it will sustain your thirsty soul I want to close with an interesting quote from Charles Spurgeon Uh, many of you know Charles Spurgeon he was a famous preacher in London In the late 1800s, perhaps one of the greatest preachers that God has ever produced in the history of the church. And what a lot of people don't know is that Charles Spurgeon suffered a great deal of depression. And he said this in one of his sermons. He says, I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go. But I always get back by this. I know I trust Christ. I have no reliance but in Him, and if He fails, I shall fail with Him. But if He does not, I shall not. Because he lives, I shall live also. And I spring to my legs again. And I fight with my depressions of spirit. And I get v- the victory through it. And so may you. And so must you. For there is no other way of escaping from it. In your most depressed seasons, you are to get joy and peace Through believing. Do stick to this, dear friends. And then he quotes from the book of Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That is the hope that we have in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope, Father, that you give us. And Lord, we know that each of us here today struggles in various ways. Father, from anxiety, Lord, we get depressed. We sometimes fall into despair. Father, some of us have experienced these things for so long that we don't know what to do about it. But Father, we know that there is hope in you. There is hope in your word. There is hope in Christ. I pray, Father, we would turn to the resources that we find in your word and through your spirit. Father, as we turn toward you, as we turn our eyes off of our problems and onto you, so that, Father, you will bring about your good purposes for us. Lord, we thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you for your faithful love toward your children. And that, Father, you have not abandoned us. That you will sustain and strengthen each one of us as we trust in Christ. And we thank you for that hope and that truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.